Hello, everybody. Welcome to my space. I'm so happy to have you here and to have such a special guest with us today. Uh, we're welcoming Kelly Sterling, who is an embodiment and empowerment coach. She's also an executive coach and she's been an executive coach for many years. And she's also a life transitions coach. And that's precisely what we will be talking about today, life transitions. Specifically, we're having a juicy conversation thank today. You. Thank you, Kelly, for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me and having me here. Uh, it's such a, it's such an important conversation. I really want to emphasize the importance of the transitions in women's lives, and how. Mm. Uh, and you mentioned something very powerful in our previous conversation, which was how it seems like uh, culture is focused on the 25-year-old stereotype of a woman, and then all of the rest of our lives just pass uh, kind of under the radar, and we suffer them in silence, and we suffer them alone. So how important it is to bring them to the conversation. Um, specifically the round aspects of menopause. So I, I would like to, to hear from you about your own um, description uh, or, or definition of what menopause is and all the areas that it, that it um, embraces. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, where do we start? It's, very, it's a very complex transition and I think you know, many of us just hear the bad stuff, like the, the terrible physical symptoms. And so a lot of what you see, particularly on social media, is just focused on the health aspect of it. But um, like any transition, it's multifaceted. And actually, I use this model that I'm about to describe to you in any development, whether I'm doing executive coaching or, you know, working with someone through your midlife transition or uh, becoming a mother, because we're complex beings and we exist within culture and social structures, okay? So I take a bio, psycho, socio-cultural, so bio, like what's the sort of health impact of it? The psycho is, you know, my emotional life, my behaviours, my thoughts and my actions. The socio piece is the social structures and, and how they shape how we show up in society and culture because culture and behaviour have a circular relationship, okay, and they feed into each other all the time. So we can't divorce ourselves from what's going on in popular culture because that impacts on how we make meaning and how we frame up what we see. So when I frame it up that way and look at it, it is, it is a complex transition in women's life where, yes, their menstruation stops. So there's a whole lot of hormonal activity going on in that time. We now know, and this has really only come about in probably the last 10 years. So we, people just used to talk about menopause, but actually there's a journey to it. It doesn't just happen like that. And that's called perimenopause, okay, so before menopause. And menopause itself is an event. So it's actually 12 months since your last period. So from a medical model perspective, a doctor will say, okay, it's been 12 months since your last period you're technically menopausal. And then we have a post-menopausal period, which is still part of that transition. And if you, there's a lot of research out there, most uh, from a medical model perspective will say that transition can take, just perimenopause to menopause can take anywhere from sort of three to 13 years. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. so, there's, so there's that aspect of it. And then there is the fact that it is an identity change and a big shift okay and with that comes a lot of emotion often a lot of old trauma comes up to be healed mm -hmm. because our psyche has this way of of you know trying to self-resolve and it's also often at a time because it typically happens to a lot of women that perimenopause period in their sort of 
40s to early 50s, but it also coincides with a time where we go through our midlife transition. And so a lot of people have a view that menopause has nothing to do with ageing, like they're just two discrete things. And I Mm -hmm. beg, like, yeah, of course, you could look at it that way if you just look at it from a health perspective. But if you look at it through these multiple lenses, of course it's a factor, okay? And so part of the challenge as well is it is a gateway to ageing from a health perspective. Mm-hmm. And so we are confronted with our mortality at the same time. And when you live in a culture that, like we said, values, you know, the standard is the 25-year-old woman, well, how does that shape how you feel about ageing? And a lot of it is very unconscious, okay, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of implicit messaging. So, so yeah, it's this very multifaceted transition that women go through. Men also go through a midlife transition, but they don't have the physical transition that women have in their menopause journey. Wow. And that's the thing. It's in the life of women, when we go through that transition, it really translates and it starts in the body, right? It, it shows in the body. Our body is mm. so connected to our psyche that everything just shows and, and and has this uh, multi-layer aspect. I, I yeah. love that you that you embrace and share this. That it's it has to be also uh, about, or it is about culture as much as it is about emotions, as much as it is about our body. And, yeah. and another aspect that I feel is so uh, important for women to hear is our sexuality. What happens with our sexuality yes. after or, or during menopause and after menopause? Because the idea of culture is that a woman is no longer attractive when she's not fertile. A woman is no longer active. A woman's uh, libido is no longer uh, up. Uh, and mainly uh, it's not, a woman is no longer desirable because after mm-hmm. all, sexuality that it's phallocentric uh, and based on, on reproduction as well doesn't find women uh, after our fertility is, is over to be to to be still alive <laughs> not, yeah. not even desirable to be still present how common yeah. it is to hear men speaking about desire how natural it is for them older men, how natural it is for them to desire younger women. And then mm. the desire, the libido and, and the sexuality in general of women that are older than 40 starts fading away. So I would really yeah. love to hear what you feel about that. Yeah, um, I think that um, one of the hard things about this transition, I think, is because we're all unique, it is, there, there's so many factors involved. So my experience of it and yours will be completely different, okay? And it's sort of hard to put your finger on, like, what might happen and is what I'm feeling normal and what is normal because, you know, it could, could be this, could be this, could be this. Um, and it's not something that's spoken about, okay? So really... I started reading about it because I'm I'm about to turn 49. So about five years ago, I just thought, oh, I've got to learn more about this and just put my head in a book and um, which happened to be Christian Northrop's book on the wisdom of menopause and went, oh, my gosh, this is so interesting. And she's very um, multi-contextual in her, the way she looks at it as well. And I, it just was just so fascinating and I have always worked in transitions and change. And so for me, it was sort of easy to go down a, a rabbit hole and of reading and never come out. But I think for a lot of women, the sexual aid part is really challenging because, you know, maybe post baby, they've realized that their, their rhythms of their desire change. 
and if they haven't, if, if everything kind of came back to normal after, you know, having kids, maybe they haven't really explored that aspect of themselves. But then when you go through menopause, because of this hormone fluctuation, particularly in estrogen, it goes up and down. Of course, that is going to impact on your libido. It can't not. And then when you go through menopause, your estrogen stays quite low. Of course, that's going to impact on your libido. So because we don't talk about menopause, because we don't talk about sexuality, really it becomes a very lonely and confusing time for a lot of women who are just trying to come to grips with you know big emotions with perhaps old trauma with physical symptoms who may not be sleeping really well um, because of the hormonal changes and then they're feeling devalued Mm -hmm. because you know like and a lot of women talk about becoming invisible as they age okay so I think it's a there's a lot of grief that's involved in this transition grief for um on a couple of levels grief for part of you that's going that's dying because it is a death and rebirth absolutely right part it's a it's a real caterpillar to butterfly experience so there's the death and rebirth experience of oh you know the younger version of me not knowing that it's an incredible transformation transition of stepping into your wildness and power okay there's the part of you that maybe looks back and says god i I had all these aspirations when i was a teenager and i haven't done any of it so that might be a scenario grief over maybe your fertility ending and not being able to have children and I have worked with many women who, even though they're in their head, I don't want any more kids, I'm done, they, they've experienced grief about that and then say to me, this feels really illogical, like it's not rational. I said, I know it's not rational. Of course it's not. That's why it's confusing that you, you could, part of you could feel like this and another part of you could feel like this, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And just just grief of accepting that wow you know I'm I am getting older because inside we probably still feel like we're 22 or 23 so it's that facing your mortality and and I think I I wonder whether sometimes that's why a lot of people avoid it there's just an unconscious I don't want to I'm not an old person I don't feel old inside yeah yeah, so, so when it comes to sexuality, I just want to say that it is not the end of your sex life. It is not the end of you as a radiant woman, okay? And I think actually this could be a really good time to explore yourself. Like you and I are personal development junkies, right, because we work in this area. So we love doing all that exploration. But I have to remember, and I know you're the same, that not everyone loves it like we do. And so as you start exploring, you know, your emotions and your emo- and why am I so angry and what's that all about and, um, and we can talk about that. Um, sexuality has to be part of the equation because... Yeah. Your sexuality is not divorced from you as an, like your emotional life, your relationships. It's not something that's mutually exclusive. It's such a foundational part of who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I see it as a great opportunity if you've never explored that part of yourself before to just dive into it and discover what's pleasurable for you and, and you know, just every aspect of sexuality. I think it's a good stepping off point to go right I'm just going to explore this side of myself I love that and I feel that it's so important um, what you mentioned about exploring our mortality and where we are going from here Uh, because we focus so much on the things that we lost right oh my god I lost so many years I lost so many opportunities I lost so many whatever Uh, and we feel like it's over because we lost our youth and our opportunities and our dreams and our it's time to start creating new new dreams, new hopes, new yeah. new uh, goals to rebirth. To to. Yeah, the part of rebirth is so important. 
Yeah. So from that, I think, you know, I say to women, no, it's fantastic. Remember the feisty, before you got your periods, before the estrogen came in, because remember estrogen is a hormone of of accommodation. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you're this like maybe 10 or 12 and you're like feisty and you had big dreams. Well, you might find that you're reconnecting with that part of yourself and you might, it's a time in your life where you're like, what's, what's, what's my life all about? What is purposeful? What is meaningful? What do I want to do? And actually, I've seen so many women in this transition create new businesses, certainly rebirth themselves, just find an incredible inner radiance inside of them, like they are thriving, okay? And just step up and just strut their stuff and go for it. Oh my gosh. So I, th- I think it's such a great opportunity and that's, and that's, you know, you're stepping into your power and it's, there's something fabulous also about, you know, where we have popular culture in our face all the time and whether you like it or not, there's this comparison thing that goes on. Even the most self-assured person sort of looks at, mm, okay, you know, mm-hmm. but there's something that happens in this transition where women let go of that because they're really, deeply inquiring to who am I and what is this all about and finding that sense of self from deep within and not looking for external validation, okay, to mirror back to them who they are. That's where the, you know, finding their inner wildness. So with that estrogen declining and that veil of accommodation going down, that's where a lot of the emotion comes up because we start to see the world as it really is mm-hmm. and we see the injustice yeah. and we don't have that smoothing over hormone we have that feistiness we had when we were 11 and 12 and we're like I'm not happy about this and a lot of women find their voice in this transition so I was talking to a friend of mine on Saturday and we were having a bit of a laugh and she's had a bit of a tough week and we were talking about what has been the gifts of this and she said oh my god can you believe I swore at someone in the street, like she's a very collaborative, collegiate person, okay, and told them to F off in the middle of the street, which is so not like her. And I was like, yay, this is fantastic. So just sticking up for her boundaries and, you know, calling out inappropriate behaviour. And I see that time and time again. And so what I see with many women is they get really interested in sort of broader community issues. Mm-hmm. And the big, big issues in society. And I'm like, well, what if our purpose as women at this time in our life is to be the custodians in the community, is to look after the generations behind us coming through, you know, is to focus our efforts on how can I support, you know, the thriving of the generations of people coming behind me? Oh, my gosh. I, I want to, to take back this phrase. I think it's so powerful. Uh, the estrogen is an accommodating hormone. That that is just like boom. that 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 phrase. I really hope that everybody writes it down because that is so true. Uh, and, yeah. And this this really changes the whole scenario. I was talking to a client recently about how whenever she goes through her period, like just before her period she gets more fierce, right? And I was saying, yes, of yes. course, because you are going low on estrogen and that yes. puts you closer to that behavior of not taking crap, of not taking yeah. The, the, yeah. The, anything that you could take because of the, of this trying to, to fit into people's expectations. That is actually closer to men's behavior. And I was laughing because actually when men complain about women being more explosive during uh, our period or before <laughs> our period it's like dude i'm just behaving like you do <laughs> totally. I, I am not being veiled by the niceness of my yeah <laughs> and, and you know like let's look at it from that perspective like to get through motherhood you have to be able to let stuff go, right? So that estrogen is actually really helpful because otherwise we'd all go bonkers, right? With little kids who's, you know, you just be, you wouldn't be able to cope. So the estrogen has its purpose, I think, from a survival perspective as well. We we're just like, yeah, okay. So, you know, you, you can't control children. That's one. You, that's part of our learning in that transition is you can't control life. 
So I feel like, you know, as you and I talk about hormones facilitating transitions, well, that has its purpose as well. But now, you know, we don't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I want to say is just around the challenge of it, because it's often a time where in our life where we're dealing with either small children, teenagers, but potentially parents who are unwell. We also have, you know, a lot of us are into our work, whether we're self-employed or we're employed by somewhere else. People get tired and stressed a lot. And stress is not good when you're going through your transition because cortisol as a hormone can cause, you know, if it's this constant cycle and when your hormones are already fluctuating, it can just put everything into a really negative spin. And so it's not uncommon to find a lot of women in adrenal fatigue at this time in their life as well. Yeah. And, and, And back, sorry, back to the sexuality, how I wanted to sort of circle back to that because sexual sex hormones, so estrogen, progesterone, luteinizing and follicle stimulating okay when we're producing stress hormone we're not producing sex hormones as much okay and you and i know that those hormones are actually really good so when we're focusing on pleasure and this is why exploring your sexuality is such a fabulous thing to do because we have to learn what is pleasurable to us okay Mm -hmm. and create some new neural pathways in our body to reconnect with our sexuality Okay, so when we we take this as a as a practice, okay, sexuality is a practice. We're actually creating pleasure in our life, whether it's through our five senses or through our self pleasuring or just with a partner. When you produce sex hormones, you, you don't produce stress hormones. So there's a, a benefit to exploring your sexuality. Does that make sense? Totally, and that's so important. So uh, to, to cortisol. Uh, puts down uh, the uh, pleasure hormones but the same goes the other way around Uh, pleasure hormones put down cortisol so we need that to survive it's actually a need need. otherwise we just get drawn down by stress because totally it it just gets off becomes bigger than us yeah, and your the, the cortisol can also throw out your melatonin and serotonin, which impacts on your sleep cycles. So a lot of women have trouble sleeping at this time. So it's really important to manage the stress to, to sleep, like just to get that sleep, because when you sleep at night, uh, your body's doing its physical repair in the first part of the night, right? And so as our estrogen declines, our um, collagen declines we need collagen for muscle repair for bone repair okay and then in the second part of part of the night our psyche does its work mm-hmm. so there's a lot going on in our psyche at this time in our life because it's it's helping us through this transition so we really really need our sleep it's really important and diet is a really big factor as well because what we eat also impacts on all those hormones as well so i just say like in as in any transition, it is a great time for review, for like to, almost doing an audit of your life. What 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 behaviours do I have that I don't need anymore? What's not helpful to me? What are maybe some, is there any childhood trauma that's coming up that needs to be healed? Are there childhood patterns that are not serving me well? Looking at it as a gateway to setting yourself up to live well in the second half of your life. Okay. So it's if you look at it from that opportunistic, it's it's hard. And think of what a butterfly goes through to become a butterfly. Like in the cocoon, it kind of turns to mush in there and then it becomes this butterfly. So there's going to be a, a challenging period. So whether you're feeling the physical symptoms or you're just struggling emotionally and, you, you know, all the midlife stuff's coming up, you're questioning everything, take the opportunity to dive in and do some self-exploration. How do I want to live well in the second half of my life? It seems like this is an opportunity to prioritize us and that prioritizing our pleasure, our sleep, and our our diet and and, and activities. It's not anymore um, a luxury, but a need in order for us to have a to have a happy 
second midlife. Yeah, yeah. And really, you know, going back to that purpose and meaning and I want to do stuff that has meaning. Like men, men go through this transition as well. It shows up differently, obviously, but, you know, they start to question everything. You see it in everyone. And I think for, for both, like it's really important time to do this inner work and inner reflection and, and it takes time. And there's no need to rush and just going slowly. Um, yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah, the, the famous uh, crisis. Uh, well, in Mexico, we call it la crisis de los 40, the 40s crisis. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally normal. So I say that, like, I in my executive coaching, because I've been coaching for years, like, there's so many men that run organizations. So I've coached 40 year old men for a long time and work with them because um, I worked in executive development for years before that it's healthy to question okay it's healthy to want something different a lot of men have been like focused on their career for so long it's not uncommon for them to get to this aging like I'm sick of this I want to do stuff that's for me and they get more focused on relationships and then you've got women who are like I want to strap my stuff so it's actually can sometimes be in a heterosexual relationship this crossover happens but it's challenging while you're going through that middle passage I always say it's sort of like being squeezed through a tube of toothpaste together right Mm -hmm. and if you can give each other space and this would go for same-sex relationships you know it doesn't matter what it is in this time you give each other space and and just also that you know we all learn differently and we all explore differently and we all transition differently and so what works for you might not necessarily work for your partner and that's totally okay like they might be seeking another way of getting themselves through this but I think if you can keep talking and reflecting as you go through this time And I think also for women, and I've seen this in same-sex relationships and in heterosexual relationships where you can't understand what it is to go through this transition until you're in it, right? And you can easily, because there's often a strong need to go inward and also, Mm -hmm. and many women need time out. They need time away, which is a bit hard at the moment with the pandemic, right? It's hard for anyone to get space away. But to keep, it's almost like educating your partner about, because they're like, what is going on with you? And I had a friend um, probably about six years ago, she said to me, she's in a, a lesbian relationship and her partner was much younger and she was going through all of this and the partner was like, I don't even know who you are anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's really hard. Yeah. Okay. That's really hard. And so... Yeah, just talking about it and being open about it does wonders for both of you, but just all the women in your life, I think it's very healing to be able to have these conversations. Totally. That is so important. Uh, And the timeout, I I can see how how that scares people because suddenly we start being um, more, less um, indulgent. Uh, we yeah. start questioning our life choices. We start wanting something else from life and we start needing time out. Of course, that, that, that sounds scary for so many people. And of course, it sounds like something uh, uh, made for stories, you know, the crown of the tales that, that, that went into the yes. forest and started over. And, and it's the witch that, that, that it's the healer of the town. That, that, that's so much the stories of, of women that went into into that stage yeah for sure um actually what I learned of Jane Hardwick Collings and I think Cedar Barstow taught her this when I sort of read 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 down this line so she's created that that maiden mother crone uh cultural narrative we had was probably more suited to when we only lived till you know 60, 50, maybe. So um, they've sort of come up with another stage, which is called MAGA, which is sort of that, you know, that transition time to about 70 and that crone is after 70. And the MAGA, so MAGA is the female of Magus, which is the Portuguese for alchemist or sorcerer, okay? 
So the way that I explain it, and if we go back to our seasons, you and I, you know, we all talk about this. So when you're a teenager or you're going through menarche, you know, spring season, mother, summer, marga, autumn, crone, winter. So it is the time, the marga time, where we harvest, like autumn is harvest time, all our skills and experience of our life to date. And we really, really get in there and use that, okay? And so when you look at it through that frame and you frame it that way, I have a lot of women when I talk to them about it, they're like, oh, yeah, that feels really good, right? Because we see the crone because we're afraid of that crone energy, so that dark feminine. And we'll get onto that in a minute because we've you and I've talked about this before. But when you look at it from that Marga stage, you, you know, oh, actually, this is a time of bringing everything to fruition. That feels way more empowering because we know we've still got so much life within us. Thank you, thank you. That is so important because exactly the, the archetype of the crone seems like already. Uh, somebody that it's just going out like uh, like the old 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 lady that it's just uh, done done and it's not, I mean it doesn't and they're not done they're not done by any stretch of the imagination but. yeah of course they still have a lot way to go well not a long way to go a lot to give but so they already recognize that it's a winter yeah, uh, yeah but but there is there is a need to recognize and to name the fall, the whole season yeah. of the fall. Yeah. And I, I, I love the word here in Spanish. It's the same word we use my as well. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a great word, isn't it? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, in terms of that sorceress alchemical, you know, I, I, so I say the perimenopause transition is mm -hmm. alchemical. Okay. Like it's such a, it's a magical transition. And so it will, you know, it might feel very hard at the time, but when you get through the other end, you know, and if you say, okay, this is a gateway to aging, I, I need to start taking care of myself. Mm. And as one of my doctors said to me recently, we were just talking and he said, well, you know, he's 52. He's like, we're just at the time in life where stuff just starts to go wrong. Mm. And so, you know, when I look at it from that midlife lens and I say, say to people, well, you know, part of looking down the barrel of ageing and accepting your mentality is acknowledging that, yes, you are getting older and your body can't do all the things that it used to do. And we know this because we get stiff after we go for long walks or go for runs or whatever. So, yeah, like how about part of accepting that is deciding to really look up like that self-care it's a really important time to learn self-care and that, um, you know, when we have our period week, you know, it's okay to rest. And this is, I say to women, you know, you, you don't have that, you don't lose that cyclical side of life once your period stop. You just start aligning with the moon from an energy perspective. And so when there's a new moon, you probably will be really tired. When there's a full moon, you probably will be full of energy. And honour that. You know, listen to your body. If your body needs a rest, Rest it. Remember, stress is not good for hormones. Not good. That is so important. Uh, thank you for mentioning that. I, uh, I think I have never heard that about how cyclic uh, our cyclical nature goes on, even after yeah. our period is over. That yeah, is so important. And one thing I want to add, just this my own personal experience, and I know a couple of people who agree with me. I because I'm perimenopausal too. Um, but because we'll talk about the cancer bit in a minute and just um, menopause that's caused by surgery or chemotherapy. But um, I just started aligning to the moon about 12 months ago, just in terms of, and just sort of, okay, where are we at? Planning my month by it. Mm -hmm. And what I've found is um, my body is appreciating it so much. And I found that just by listening to my body and what she needs, it's actually been really good for my libido as well, okay? Mm -hmm. Like not pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. Mm -hmm. So you and I have always said rest is part of your erotic practice and I certainly experience that to be true as I'm going through this transition. So, mm -hmm. 
that's so powerful. Rest is part of our erotic practice. It's one of the basic parts. It's not yeah. about pushing, going faster, harder, and just keep going yeah. and keep being sexual. It's about listening. Thank you for bringing that, that up. Yeah. And then the cancel part is so important. Yeah. You, yeah. You are, so so you we better so talk bad. about this. Yes, You're I am. So I've powerful. Your journey has been one of uh, taking this experience and taking it to the next level. You, you really mastered you. This, this experience. I would really love to hear about how that, that has been going on for you. Yeah, thanks. Um, so before we talk about me, I think it's important to mention, so when women, um, women can have surgically or chemically induced menopause. And of course, this can happen at any time, right? So if they have a full hysterectomy and they lose their ovaries, it can put them into it. If you go through radio or chemotherapy because of cancer, it will stop the ovaries producing hormones. And so you have this very sudden experience. And for most women, they come out of it and go back to normal. But if you are close to perimenopause, this was what my oncologist talked to me about, it can tip you into menopause, okay? Mm -hmm. And then obviously if you lose the ovaries, it'll tip you in. So the experience of, and, and what happened to me is, yeah, it put me into menopause for about four or five months and then I came back out into peri because my periods came back. Um. And so what most people experience is a very sudden and aggressive type of menopause symptoms. But, again, it's varied, right, because we're all different and unique. Um, and, you know, the, the, the treatment process when you're going through chemo is really intense. It's really hard on your nervous system. People have surgeries that are really invasive depending on where, you know, their tumours are. Um, if women have breast cancer, like that's a really hard process for them to go through, particularly if they have to have a mastectomy. But I think any surgery on your breasts is really hard because it's such a part of our femininity. Um, and it's really hard. Like it's, I, it's hard not to disassociate from the body when you're going through that treatment because it's so full on. So I had colon cancer. So I had surgery on my colon 12 months ago. And I longer now where are we up to may so about 14 15 months ago and um i was lucky i had a really talented surgeon who did a laparoscopic surgery and um that in itself is quite full-on because in the colon is a large part of our nervous system and so part of cutting my tumor out they had to move the colon around and that's very unsettling as well and then I went into chemo so because they found cancer in some of the lymph nodes and, you know, really, really hard. So I did somatic experiencing therapy the whole way through because I've got so much somatic training and I'm a very, I'm very connected to my body. I was like, okay, I do not want talk therapy. I need to be able to stay connected to my body. You know, feeling is my dominant sensory intake in the world. I'm such a feeler and i I knew, I just knew I had to do this. So I worked with um, a fabulous lady called Nisha Gill, um, who actually only lives like a kilometre from me. But because it was in the middle of the pandemic, we had to do it all online because I was immune compromised and couldn't go anywhere. And we were locked down anyway. And that was just such a nurturing process for me to go through. Um, and so much, you know, so much stuff comes up when you go through the treatment. And I also worked one-on-one -on -one with um, a chiropractor who I've been seeing on for years who is a network spinal analysis person and he specialises in trauma and he's been through treatment for cancer himself. So it was really great to have these people guiding me and then I had um, a wonderful friend's mother, Eileen, who did Reiki with me when I, every time I had treatment. And so having those three really wise souls kind of guide me through the process was really beautiful and I felt very held and supported through my treatment. Um, and I just used a lot of the really simple practices that we were taught in um, our training to stay connected with my body. So often it was just self-massage and just talking to my body all the time, 
and telling it how amazing it was. I used to do a lot of sound and vibration work because every time that you have a treatment, it puts your nervous system into fight and flight. So you sort of, you get a lot of energy. Well, I did. You put, you know, some people might go into freeze. I had a lot of energy up here. So I used to sing a lot in the shower. (laughs) I'd get in the shower and I'd just sing, you know, put mantras on. I used to sing to mantra music a lot and it just moved a lot of that energy out here. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, and I just... The thing that I did that was the most nurturing in terms of my own self-care was really using my five senses to find pleasure every day. So whether my husband and I walked in nature a lot, which we do, we walk every day anyway, we walk about 10 kilometres now, but physical exercise is very good when you go through um, treatment to move the drugs around your body. So there's a lot of research into the efficacy of physical exercise with chemotherapy now. It has very supportive so I walked a lot I would walk around looking at people's gardens down the river we live close to the river in Melbourne so we did that I really got a lot of pleasure out of feeding my body good food so my body craved a lot of fruit and vegetables during the treatment and just you know sight music like just stimulated them and actually just finding pleasure in that was a really foundational way of supporting myself through it I think it really helped me actually. And it gave me a focus each day. I'd be like, oh, what am I going to do today? Oh, okay. Today, what am I going to cook for myself today? What could be a really lovely, simple meal that would be really nourishing to my body? So I've, using those five senses. And I, and I, sorry, just one more thing. Yeah, so I think what happens with, so when women go through all this treatment, get put into the menopause, hormones are like, boom, mm-hmm. right? Some women afterwards, like if they've got a tumour that's been caused by hormones in its first place, so they then go on a lot of drugs that suppress the hormones. So that can be something they can be on for a long time. So that's challenging because, again, the estrogen is going low and it's happened really, really quickly. Um, I met a lovely young girl because uh, I have to have surveillance every year, like a lot of tests and scans and constant checkups. And at my last CT scan, we were just talking and she told me that she had uh, found out she had a type of lymphoma two weeks after she'd given birth and her child is now 18 months old. And we were talking and what do you do? And I told her and she's like, oh, is my libido ever going to come back? And I'm like, of course it will. But you've been through birth, okay, the hormone change is there and then you've gone straight into chemo and then, okay, has everything come back? It has your body's been traumatised by chemotherapy, but you've got to go really, really slowly, you know. And so I gave her some stuff to do and we sat and talked and and she said to me she realised because she got put into menopause, she had this, I think she's about 30, she's like, I just went through this whole thing and it's everything you and I have just talked about where I thought, like, are we only good for having children? Like, do people not care once we've had kids? Like, are we worth nothing? And then I told her the whole story of the Marga and she was like, oh, my God, that's so empowering and I'm going to feel really good about it. So I think, yeah, for women who are going through that, they have this sudden menopause experience and what might be happening, because when you go through menopause naturally, you have the emotional outburst, you have, you know, the body and the psyche are kind of going through something together. But I think for it to happen really suddenly well, the psyche might not be ready for that part of the transition. Does that make sense? So it can yeah. be quite a confusing time for them yeah. in particular. But for me personally, just that looking after myself, I just I realised really quickly it was my full-time job during the treatment. It was my self-care. Yeah. And I've I, I continued love, that. I love this description that you, that you made about how uh, your body was craving, or, or the body during cancer is craving to dissociate because of, because there's so much going on. Yet again, the medicine is to reconnect, to reconnect yeah. the pleasure and through the little the pleasure, the pleasure, pleasure as the pathway through pain. Yeah, but but you know, simple baby steps. 
because that's all I could cope with. And I think that would be the same for anyone going through this is, you know, start small, go through your your sensuality, your five senses. But, yeah, so I think the message for people going through a chemically or surgically induced menopause is, yeah, it, it is extreme and it is severe. But, you know, you may come out of it. But if the drugs, the hormone-suppressing drugs are there, yes, your, your libido will come back. You know, but, but your body has been through so much. And like you and I say, post-birth takes time. Well, I don't think it's any different. The message is any different. Is to go slowly and find that safety in your body. You know, what is pleasurable to you using your sensuality? But just go really slowly. Titration, drip by drip. I don't know if that is um, that is common practice. I don't think that is common practice in other parts of the world. But here in Mexico, just some years ago, the the generation of my mother and maybe just a generation in between, uh, my mother and me, um, doctors would take away their wombs and their ovaries right after after birth like okay you don't need them anymore and they could be removed and, and hearing you i am hearing about the deep um, grief and, and the deep process that uh for the body that that would mm. mean because they were forced into the, into this hormonal change Yes. Being ready without it being their time for that change. Absolutely. And, you know, there's grief. When you have faced with a life-threatening illness, there's a grief process that you go through. It comes in waves. Um, And I read something the other day that really resonated with me. Um, uh, So when we go through that crone phase and that sort of near-death time, you know, it's really dark deep time that women that women in particular who go through a life-threatening illness can have that same experience of being close to death and that darkness it's a bit like you know in birth how you get quite close to death because you have to completely surrender to go for the cervix to dilate and then you know the actual contractions it can be it feels close to death it's a similar thing does that make sense yes yeah so, and I think, you know, when you when you hear it articulated, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. But you're right. There's the, 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 the waves of grief for everything they've lost, plus the grief of, oh, my God, I've just been through this horrendous experience of having this terrible illness. And the, the darkness. I, I love that you bring that up because that's something that we also wanted to discuss. The yes. archetypes of the darkness and that women yeah. are parts of us that we go and recover during this time. That's so powerful. Yeah. So um, where do we start, Sasha? This is so complex. I think there's, there's let's talk about the emotions first. So I think part of menopause transition is those emotions that we don't like to sit with. I call them the swampland emotions, but, you know, the grief, the sadness, the anger, the frustration, okay, that we've perhaps pushed away. So they come up because our psyche is like, deal, deal with this, okay? So learning to to marinate in them and... For me, it kind of mirrors the creative process a bit like when I'm making a painting. Mm -hmm. I do a bit and then I just walk away from it, okay? So I think part of this transition with the emotions is being able to just be learning to be with them and marinate in them and, you know, the tantric view that we love that actually when you sit with it, there's always something on the other side of it, right? So in grief, you find gratitude and love on the other side. And in sadness, there's often a lot of love on the other side, okay? It always leads to somewhere, especially anger because women's anger is not accepted anywhere. So part of this is about us learning to express our anger in a healthy way. And I think this is really good around personal boundaries. 
and also speaking up for our desires and what we want in our life, okay? And I think, you know, when they say, oh, women get all bossy when they're in that marker phase, yes, because they can't, they let their anger come out and they realise, well, I need to say what's okay and what's not okay for me, all right? That's part of learning to get yourself and look after yourself through the transition. But it's also about, you know, in terms of setting yourself up for a healthy life, desire-based living, okay? And dealing with, you know, this is culturally, whether you're religious or not, that Judeo-Christian messaging around not wanting stuff and desire is a terrible thing. Like you're actually pushing against that, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's very implicit. So it can be really confronting even if you're not a person who has a strong religious practice because it's so pervasive in the culture. It's Mm -hmm. just this messaging. So part of it is getting used to those dark emotions and they're aspects of the dark feminine, okay? Women do have anger, you know, and going through our transition, that heroine's journey, we do go to those dark places. The way women transition through rites of passage is completely different to men, okay? Mm-hmm. They go to a different place. And so part of it is being in the darkness. That is the dark feminine and embracing her and learning about it. Your anger is okay. Your sadness is okay and it's so welcome. Your grief is okay. You know, to, to really grieve, we have to surrender, don't we? Yes. Yeah, so, so, there's, so there's all of that. And then there's the cultural aspect where the maga, the crone, it's the dark feminine, okay? it's Feminine is dark. It's those yang qualities. And when you live in a society that worships on production, achievement, being on 24-7, summertime, 25-year-old women, do you know, like that whole summer model, of course this is challenging because you're not seeing it reflected back to you at all anywhere, are you? Mm-hmm. Apart from this group of women who are all underground doing their transition together. Ah, certainly. It's not openly out there. It seems... Uh, like we don't have a role model of how to do that safely and we need there are no stories there are no stories there's stories coming out now there's some good stories coming out now in the last sort of in the last 10 years but if we even look at popular literature you know there are no stories of women aging there are no stories of it's the evil witch or the old granny okay there's no stories of a healthy sexually vibrant radiant older woman yeah that that of course we would (laughs) exactly you can stick up for herself you can soothe herself and parent herself yeah she's portrayed to be either the the evil stepmother or cruella de vil (laughs) or do you know like the fairy tales they're all the same and so of course it makes sense that women would be like oh my god it's all over it's all down here from now Maybe except for Sarah Connor from Terminator. <laughs> That's the only one. Yeah, I, I do like. I do like her. Yeah. Or um, what was Sigourney Weaver's character in Aliens? Oh my gosh! Like, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Th- those are pretty much the only the only characters I can think of that that are uh, older women that are powerful and protective their own. Uh, yeah. But, and so, so new. I feel like you know we we live in this narrow frame of experience of how we should be and so this transition is actually going do you know what no all your emotions are welcome okay all the parts of you are welcome and actually you can be there's all these different parts of you okay and they're all okay and learning how to soothe yourself and parent yourself and look after you so i see this transition as just being full of opportunity for women to thrive This is such an important conversation and I wish that more women get to be seen in this stage in their lives, that it's more common to see these women. I, I think of our closer cousins in the animal kingdom, the, the bonobos, yes. 
where they are a matriarchal society, where it is the older uh, matriarch who is the one in charge. I think yeah. that, that that is that is something that we need to see. We we need to um, when, when I see people protecting patri the patriarchal model of domination and power and and survival of the fit of the fetus. And, I just remember that it's not all that is. That we also have this other model that is not that known, but it's still very present and it's the one closest to us. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's um, uh, I was reading recently. I can send you the link so you can put it in um, in the notes. Uh, there's been quite a few bit of research done around menopause in terms of animals. The only species that go through menopause are humans and killer whales. So there's about four different types of killer whales. And when they've observed, you know, with all this research that's been done with the whales, the role of the, the granny, they call it, is to look after the younger ones and make sure they're okay and help out the, the parent whales um, and just look out for the the whole, I don't know, what do you call a group of whales? It's not like a school of fish. I know they have a, a term, I can't recall it at the moment, but to, to look after the whole community, like, and to keep that sort of broader conceptual view and you know, why would we be any different really? And then I read a PhD thesis, a lady um, who did it on the Hazda tribe in Tanzania and she looked at the reproductive, um, what was the actual description of it? Look, basically, she just looked at the reproductive journey of women, essentially, in the tribe. And typically, these women started having babies when they were 16 and just continued to give birth until they were about 42. And they typically went through menopause transition at 42. Mm -hmm. And what um, they found was no physical symptoms role is valued in the community the only physical symptom was uh, vaginal dryness which of course is from estrogen depletion and that's completely normal and these women then start becoming foragers so they they're out there they're doing a lot of exercise they're out there walking all the, all day sometimes 10 to 20 kilometres, they're foraging for food. They often eat all the time when they're out there, so they're quite healthy looking after themselves. And then they come back and they bring all the food back to the community and they look help look after the children, their grandchildren. So it's not uncommon in this tribe for them to become grandmothers at, in their 30s because, remember, they started having babies, so their eldest child, you know, starts young as well. And so I think it's a really interesting story. And you see in Asian cultures as well where age is way more respected they have a traditional term second spring they call menopause mm -hmm. and women seem to have less symptoms they still have symptoms and I know this talking to my friends in Singapore and Hong Kong but you know people respect the elderly much more in Asian cultures than they do in a lot of western cultures so and, and noticeably less physical symptoms they still have the emotional transition so that's why, you know, I think you've got to take the cultural lens and look at it. Like how, how is, how, you know, how our culture feels about ageing, about older people, how is that impacting on me and what am I experiencing in my life? You can't divorce it from part of the process. That is so important. The cultural lens is where these cultures call it a second spring while our culture pretty much buries them out. Like, like see you later, alligator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, uh, and to see these women uh, having, um, I, I see videos of women in Asia that are as physically strong as they were in their younger years because yeah. they, they remain strong and they remain connected to their bodies more than anything. They do, you know, and I've, times where I've been, I love it when I've been up in China for work or you know, you, you walk around in some of the bigger cities and there's all these old, elder people doing Qigong or Tai Chi, like they're moving. They're not like hardcore lifting weights, but they they don't stop moving their body all the time. So that you walk around a lot of Asian cities and you see older people just out there doing stuff and often working to quite an old age as well. You know, and they might have economic reasons for doing that, but. But uh, then again, 
that is much cheaper to keep active and healthy and uh, keeping a good diet and sleeping well and taking time for self ple self pleasure and self care that's going to be cheaper than than medical bills right yeah, of course with the, with the flow of our culture that says uh, i i know that my mother has that that point of view like her her generation in Mexico has that point of view, like, oh my God, it's normal to just fade away. It's normal to not want to have any other man. It's normal. No, it's not, because that, that's just this culture. But in mm. other cultures, and, and my body, it's telling me that it's not, that it's craving to stay alive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a beautiful conversation. We could just go on for hours, but uh, there's so much to digest already for people to, to just enjoy and take this, this video and this audio because it's going to be on, on Spotify and, and Apple as well, to take, in, take it in little pieces and go back to them because there's so much wisdom here. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is to like just look at it through multiple lenses, okay? And just be really careful about what you're, like, when you're reading, like, and I encourage you to go out and read, and I can give you a list of um, great books that you can put on your website if you want. Like, look at it, just go, that's a perspective, okay? And there are some great books, like Christian Northrup's book, Susan Weed's book, she's a herbalist, that talk about it in a multidimensional way. But, you know, look at it through multiple lenses your your transition journey is unique and the power of community so when we are going through transitions our foundations are a bit shaky okay so being around other people who are so okay with how we are is one of the most supportive things that you can do okay and women love we you know we we connected we love connecting with people we love our social connection. So whether, you know, you are in community with a group of women who might be a women's circle or whether it's um, through exercise or, you know, I, I go to Pilates every week and I have these friends I've made through Pilates and then you might have, you know, if you're an artistic person, so you'll have different groups and it's so important to maintain that community connection as a support structure. And, it's you know, as part of your transition but also as part of your getting older relationships are really important yes thank you that's so important we, we don't need to do this alone we need you don't be... need to do it alone yeah and actually one just there is one last thing i would like to say on the health front i think you really need to make a decision about how you want to participate in your health this is just my personal opinion right i just want to put it out there based on my own experience so there are some really good books out there, like The Wisdom of Menopause. Lara Bryden's got a great book called Hormone Repair Manual. Mm -hmm. So you, how do you want to contribute in, to your health? Do you want to have a collaborative relationship with your health practitioners or are you just going to do what they tell you to do? Okay. So in terms of your personal agency and being able to advocate for yourself, if you want to be in a strong position to do that, then go and educate yourself and read up, okay? If you want to have that collaborative relationship, so I'm like, if you want to be the CEO of your health and have a whole lot of advisors around you, and you can go to different health practitioners, you can still go to a GP, you can go to a uh, naturopath or, you know, your chiro, your osteo, but you're in the centre. Put yourself in the centre of the circle, Okay. I think a lot of doctors now are wanting to have more patient-centric cultures, but that is reliant on us taking that responsibility for educating ourselves, okay? That is so important. And just pushing back on them, right, and questioning them and asking them, particularly when it comes to the hormones, right, really understanding what's going on there. And there's some really great different programs out there that will help you understand and make informed decisions about what's the right thing for you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. That is so important, being in charge uh, 
being connected, being in the center. I love that, being in the center of your own. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. Like you're your own guru. You know, you and I talk to people about this with the coaching, but I feel this transition from an archetypal perspective is really about coming back home to yourself, mm-hmm. to the essence of you. And so with that in mind, you know, if you put yourself in the centre and the circle around you and like all this, this there's a lot of information out there. What's, you, what's going on with me? You know, I'm the CEO of my own health, of my emotional health. Okay, what's going to be helpful to me? How do you ask, how do you talk to doctors? Okay, how do you talk to them about and ask them questions? Thank you. That That's really a great, a great recommendation. And with this, uh, that there's so much wisdom that people can take with, the, with that. Um, I'm really so grateful because there's there are so many things. Uh, like to hear to this conversation more than once, just take notes because there's so much power in this. Thank you so much, Kelly. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Like it is is such an important topic and I just love talking to you all the time anyway. So it's easy. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, Well, uh, where can people find you? Because you you do have programs and you do have have also your coaching practice and and group programs. I do. So my website is kellysterling.com. I, yeah, I coach one-on-one and then I run like in a teaching role. So I do a group coaching program for women in menopause. I run a program called Reconnect, which is an introductory bring you back into your body. Uh, I am on Instagram, uh, Kelly Sterling, and I have a group on Facebook called The Heroine's Journey. So if you, you can find it, if you can't find it, if you just go to my website on the front page, there's a link to get through to it. Yeah, I, I will add, of course, your your links in the in the description so that people can find you uh, directly from this conversation. But thank, thank you. you so much. It's so valuable and it's so important to have this connection and people to work with during these journeys. Like we don't need to do it alone. Don't need to do it alone. Yeah. Thanks, thank Sasha. You. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you. you too.